You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And finally, spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Bros, which came out in 2022, and was directed by Nicholas Stoller. It stars Billy Eichner, Luke McFarlane, Guy Branham, Miss Lawrence, T.S. Madison, Dot Marie Jones, Jim Rash, Eve Lindley, Monica Raymond, Guillermo Diaz, and Amanda Bierce. The genre would be romantic comedy. From the producer of Trainwreck and Knocked Up and the director of Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh my God, do you guys remember straight people? Yeah, they had a nice run. Comes a boy meets bro love story. Hey, what's up? I hear you're boring. I'm not boring, I'm just shy. Yeah, you look really shy. I need you to be honest. You like these rowy idiots. They're fighting you like that? I can be tough. Oh, that's what you like? Hey, what's going on? That's cool. Bye-bye. Rose, to be honest, I had not really seen nor heard much from Billy Eichner before seeing this movie. And here's the strange part. He stars, he co-wrote, and he was clearly a strong creative force in front of and behind the camera of what is very likely one of the best romantic comedies of recent years. And yet, I don't have much desire to see him in anything else right now. It's akin to really enjoying Annie Hall, which I do, and yet still feeling kind of meh on seeing Woody Allen lead a movie after that. Even though he's not directing, you could even say that Eichner is following the auteur path previously laid out by not only Woody Allen, but folks like Albert Brooks and Edward Burns, guys who would write rom-coms, which they themselves also starred in as the romantic lead, with their characters being among the least appealing on screen. Which is not to say that the resulting movies weren't good, because in most cases, with both Brooks and Woody Allen, they were. Of course, it helps when you're having a delightful Diane Keaton playing Annie Hall. Now, this might even be intentional, too, as Eichner plays an often unpleasant and self-centered lead character here. Something a straight guy might like? Am I going to be in the middle of some high-speed chase then all of a sudden fall in love with Ice Cube? Am I going to get butt-fucked by Jason Momoa while we're both worrying about a volcano? He's Bobby, a well-to-do single gay 40-year-old podcaster living in Manhattan who has never had a serious relationship before and was content with that. Until he met Aaron, of course. Aaron is a handsome attorney, played by Luke McFarlane, who I remember seeing recently in the holiday rom-com Single All the Way. And as ill at ease as Eichner initially feels within this setting, everything just fits McFarlane like a glove. I mean, the dude just seems genetically engineered to appear in rom-coms, as he is instantly likable, convincingly vulnerable, adept at light humor, and he's just got a great 1,000-megawatt smile to boot. You could even describe him as a gay, American, jacked version of Hugh Grant. What are you into? One of these boring, ripped idiots with no opinions? No, I like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. McFarlane is just such a charming presence here that you just can't help but root for him to find love. And both Eichner and McFarlane have strong chemistry together, which also helps. That and a very funny screenplay co-written by Eichner and Stoller, which structures the development of their relationship in an organic touching manner, even while keeping the jokes coming at a steady clip. Bobby, I had sex with that 65-year-old. Jesus, he's ripped. I know, it's like they injected steroids into Dumbledore. We witness an extended courtship between them, which does include all of the typical meet-cutes, jealousies, miscommunications, 
happiness montages, and several enthusiastic sex scenes, the latter of which are likely to turn off some older, more conservative audiences, to which I would say, and? I mean, if you were alone with Luke McFarlane, would you want things to remain chaste? Just saying. But what's especially nice is how we see these two relate to each other, talk to each other, and get to understand each other. Yeah, it's kind of crazy just how many romantic comedies forget to take us through this somewhat critical step. That kind of thing is often replaced by full-on montages, or even in the case of a recent rom-com, which I still quite enjoyed, The Lost City, it's mostly replaced by slapstick and or action sequences. This film does take its time laying out two very distinct personalities and how they can even complement each other. And of course, none of this would gel together as well without a load of knowing humor about rom-coms, how gays are portrayed in film, and even regarding how different subgroups within the LGBTQ community poke fun at each other. What if the final exhibit was a recreation of a queer wedding? I like that. Okay, that I don't have. Tomorrow, that is so sweet. I love that. And people can come and register for wedding gifts here. You're gonna write that. Oh my God, and no! That is old-fashioned heteronormative nonsense. We need to get people to rethink history through a queer prism, not comfort them with another gay wedding, all right? It's a museum, it's not Shit's Creek. Oh, I like but Shit's I, Creek. I love Shit's Creek. That show has all layers. Right, everyone loves Shit's Creek, great, okay. That's who you remind me of, Eugene Levy. Yes! There is a very self-aware undercurrent running throughout, which generally works, though it does pad the runtime somewhat, resulting in a few too many monologues and or speeches, usually from Eichner. I mean, it's clear that he has some well-intentioned things to say through his character, acknowledging the ongoing struggles of folks who do not have the privileges of being a, quote, cis white gay man, as he accurately describes himself. But occasionally, though, they just kind of stop the movie in its tracks. Regardless, Bros works very well in both the romantic and funny sense. I can't recall a romantic comedy that pulled off that balance this well since The Big Sick. I think that came out about five years ago. I especially laughed during one early scene when we see Bobby attending a gala event introducing a brand new fictional queer dating app referred to as Zellweger. <laughs> it's designed for like-minded gays who are looking for someone to hook up with while spending the rest of their time discussing movies. Sounds pretty promising to me. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Overall, Bros features a soundtrack with a solid mix of pop music and or dance remixes from the likes of Kylie Minogue, George Michael, Nat King Cole, and John Mayer. Quite a variety. The personal highlight for me, though, is actually a diegetic needle drop, which we actually hear sung in the movie by Billy Eichner himself. And he's just not singing it. Nope, it's that time-tested romantic comedy trope of the climax of the movie featuring one character declaring his, her, their love to the other one musically and in front of a crowd, no less. Now, I could go either way with this trope. Sometimes it really lands for me, and sometimes it could be quite obnoxious. Funny how it always goes with love when you don't look, you find. But then we're two of a kind. Fortunately for this movie, it works. We are at the grand opening of the LGBTQ History Museum, it's a fictional museum, in New York, which our hero Bobby has been on the board of. And he just made a speech for the crowd, and wouldn't you know who pops up into the audience? It's Aaron. He ran over there late at night in a nicely obvious homage to When Harry Met Sally. And wouldn't you know it, but Bobby has a band ready on stage with him so that he could sing a song dedicated to you-know-who. And it's a very sweet song. 
And Billy Eichner has a good voice, no less, even while he's trying to do his version of Aaron's favorite musical artist, Garth Brooks. Sure. And wouldn't you know it, Aaron starts to tear up as the rest of the crowd around him just goes, aw. Hey, the scene just works. And it's an original country-style ballad co-written by Eichner himself. The song is called Love Is Not Love. We met at the club I carry remix on All the boys in harnesses You didn't recognize the song You took me up Up to Provincetown Where for years the deviant boys Have run around Cause love is not love Our love is new We're just two heartbreakers breaking all the rules. Love is not love. And now the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Okay, this is a pretty loaded category here. By the time this episode has been released, it will have been no secret that Bros has underperformed at the box office. Significantly. Which is a disappointment on many fronts. It's an original film, not based on IP. It's very R-rated, and it's a big studio comedy. In today's post-COVID multiplex environment, each of these categories is actually pretty rare. Hell, they were all becoming rare before COVID, if we're being honest. And of course, the big elephant in the room is that this is the first big studio gay romantic comedy to receive a wide theatrical release. And sadly, it's not likely to make its money back. So what does this mean? Well... There are no shortage of folks online now stating that it means that mass audiences will not pay to see gay-themed movies in theaters. And as disappointing as I find this film's lack of box office to be, I still disagree. While there is little doubt that mainstream American audiences have always been squeamish about gay content, we have seen several such films perform very well over the past several decades, and they come from a variety of genres. Philadelphia, The Birdcage, In-N-Out, Brokeback Mountain along with previous episodes, Milk and Call Me By Your Name. Now, not all of these films were blockbusters, mind you, but they were all extremely profitable nonetheless. And they all had marketing advantages, which bros did not. They had big stars for the time, carefully deliberate theatrical rollouts to build word of mouth, massive critical acclaim, and or splashy awards campaigns. Unfortunately, Billy Eichner just isn't a star, nor is Luke McFarlane, although he deserves to be. It has also been at least five years since any R-rated comedy did blockbuster business. And, as I have commiserated before in previous episodes, it's very difficult for movies not based on IP, intellectual property, to do significant business nowadays. That's just the way the marketplace is. So what this means, in my opinion, is that the timing just wasn't there. It might have helped if this film had a mainstream comedy star like Paul Rudd involved. It might have helped if Universal gave this film a slower rollout, didn't go wide right away. And yeah, unfortunately, it might have helped if the focus of this film's marketing campaign didn't focus so heavily on the historic significance of focusing on LGBT characters. This is Bisexual Awareness Week, and no one has acknowledged it! Lesbian History Month was in March! Nobody said a goddamn thing! Of course, lesbians get a month and we get a week. But does that mean that I fault Universal producer Judd Apatow, and all others involved for not hitting the mark with this film? Hell no. I applaud them. They went bold with how they released this film, and I'm glad that they tried. 
It's always hard to be the first one out of the gate. It sucks. In my middle-aged, white, hetero-minded opinion, I actually think that the holiday-themed rom-com Happiest Season, which came out a couple years ago, would have been a more ideal choice to get this type of big studio rollout. That film, which I reviewed previously, it's PG-13, it plays much softer for straight audiences, it lays heavily into the Christmas theme, and it has several bigger names attached. I mean, I'm not sure if Kristen Stewart is considered a box office draw nowadays, but I think she certainly would have attracted more interest than Billy Eichner. Through no fault of his own, the guy just hasn't been in many movies. Alas, Happiest Season was just released directly to Hulu in the middle of the pandemic. The timing just wasn't there, sadly, for that film or Bros. It saddens me that Bros is not going to have the packed, raucous movie theater crowds that it so clearly deserves. It certainly wasn't the first excellent movie that I've reviewed which underperformed, nor will it be the last. My advice to Hollywood would be simply, don't waste all the talent that went behind this film. Ignore all of the idiotic, quote, go-woke, go-broke naysayers out there, and to just keep trying. And now the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. As many of you might be aware, texting is probably among the most popular forms of communication nowadays between people. And we might be getting to the point in movies and TV shows where showing it, portraying it, might be getting tiresome for a lot of folks. But just not for me, sorry. Portraying texting might not always be purely cinematic, but it could still be entertaining on screen when developing a relationship between characters. And I especially enjoyed one early scene of Bobby and Aaron, both at work, texting each other, furiously typing back and forth, as we also hear each of them reacting and rehearsing witty responses in real time. Just a funny, clever, and touching scene, especially as they both have the same exasperated looks on their faces after their last text, wondering, of course, if they came off cool enough. I woke up laughing about you so rudely calling me out on my shit. Well, you deserved it, bitch. Honestly, I was impressed. You may be more emotionally unavailable than I am. Well, maybe we can be emotionally unavailable together. Maybe we can be emotionally unavailable together. Who's writing your texts, Maroon 5? Fuck off. Kidding. We can go out. Are you asking me out? I'm down for whatever. Yeah, same. Cool. Sounds good. So, tomorrow? Or we can do whenever. Yeah, I can do whenever and I can do whatever. I don't care what we do. Yeah, me neither. We can do whatever and we can do it whenever. Does that work for you? Yeah, that definitely works. Great. Whatever, whenever. Cool. Whatever, whenever. GIF of Michael Scott dancing. That's good. Office GIF? This person isn't gay. Heart. Oh, no. Unheart. Thumbs up. Peace. Peace. Later. Can't you heart my later, bitch? Bye. And now the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This is a tough call, as I feel like you have three key figures here, even with different levels of creative involvement. This story and character were clearly the brainchild of Billy Eichner. And for a relatively untested screenwriter and actor, I think he really pulls it off for the most part. As unpleasant as I found his character at times, he's still very relatable, and he gives a convincing performance to back that up. That said, every successful romantic comedy still needs that luminous, charismatic presence to make it sing. I mean, just think of Pretty Woman, a film which I have very mixed feelings on to this day. Yes, he's rich and good-looking, but sorry, Richard Gere is just not playing a remotely appealing character in that movie, as far as I'm concerned. Pretty Woman only really works thanks to the smile the toothy laugh, and the overall appeal of Julia Roberts. And fortunately, that's where Luke McFarlane comes in. 
He is this film's version of Julia Roberts' Circa 1990. Just a full-on star in the making who you can't take your eyes off of, no matter how ridiculous the situation. And seriously, not to spoil anything, but his character Aaron takes a career turn in the third act of this movie that is just plain goofy. (laughs) And yet McFarlane just sells it with a plum. And finally, for a movie like this, you need a sure hand behind the camera. With regards to genre, a filmmaker who knows and understands the type of movie he's making and always stays on point. That would be Nicholas Stoller, who happens to be one of the most consistent comedy directors out there right now. Over the past 15 years, he has helmed Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek, and one of my personal favorites, previous episode Neighbors. This guy just gets how to blend all of the key elements for these types of movies. Timing, raunch, physical gags, heart, and how to best utilize your cast, even for the smallest roles. In Bros, you have the obligatory straight friends for Bobby, Tina and Edgar, a charming couple with young kids played by Monica Raymond and Guillermo Diaz. I think both actors appear in maybe three scenes at most, and one of those scenes is very funny as they do a ridiculous, quote, bottom dance with their kids in front of Bobby. What kind of gay man says his favorite singer is Garth Brooks? That scares me. Plus, I see the guys he likes. They all look exactly like him. They're all these, like, big, hot, straight-acting dudes. It's just not me. Well, is he a top or bottom? What does that have to do with anything? Maybe you're both bottoms, and that's a problem. I'm not always the bottom, Edgar. Oh my god. Gay sex was more fun when straight people were uncomfortable with it. And we have a touching scene late in the movie where Tina has a nice heart-to-heart conversation with Bobby about his own trust issues. These supporting characters are here to serve distinct purposes, and they nail it. No extended improv sequences, just watching them riff, nor extended subplots which wear out their welcome. This is how you pull off big screen comedy with heart. Trust me, it's much harder than it looks, and Stoller is currently one of the best at it. Therefore, Billy Eichner, Luke McFarlane, and Nicholas Stoller are your co-MVPs. My rating for the movie Bros would be four and a half stars out of five. I implore you, if you appreciate funny, satisfying romantic comedies, then by all means, go see this. Support it. Spread the word. We need more like this. And if you're looking to watch Bros, right now, it's currently still playing in theaters. And that ends another bromantic review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.